Welcome to RUF. Uh, my name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister here. And uh, what, what I want to do tonight is, tonight's one of those sermons where it's like, I really want to just talk for tonight about what is RUF. What is this? If this is your first time, what is this weird place your friend has, has brought you to? Uh, I remember when I was in college, I uh, went here, and I guess around 2000, there was this RUF here. It was pretty small. And I had these two fraternity brothers who went, but like I had totally written them off as Christians because they occasionally cussed every now and then. I don't know why I did that because they did. And um, and I was like, well, they surely can't be Christians, even though they were like way more godly in terms of the way they dated and way more godly and just like in the way they did life. Um, so I never went. Um, years later in seminary, I fell in love with this ministry, and I've been doing it for eleven years, six years here. But and if. So you've been around. So for, if you're new, this is kind of like just uh, one shot at what what are we? What is this weird place you are? And then if you've been around for a while, it's a reminder. Like, what are we doing here? And so to do that, um, I want to read uh, one of my favorite parables that Jesus tells. It's in Luke 18, if you brought a Bible or brought a phone. Um, Luke 18, and I'm going to read verses 9, uh, starting verse 9 down to 14. And then we'll just talk a little bit about what RUF is from this parable tonight. So Luke 18, verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Those two things always go together, by the way. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, this really religious person, and the other a tax collector, this known sinner. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into this passage and really just talking about RUF tonight. Let's pray first. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us in the void. You haven't left us in the darkness uh, where we have to guess uh, what you're like, where we have to grope toward you to find you. 
We thank you that you show up. You show up in your word and you show up in our lives and you show up even tonight in this place. And I pray for that, Lord. I pray that we know that um, if you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear, we know tonight that we are hopeless. Our strategies, our uh, fair designs that we scheme, that we just sang about, are nothing. We'll do nothing in our lives. We are desperate for your power. We are desperate for your grace. We are desperate to see what this tax collector in this parable saw that you are, you are a God who loves to show mercy to us, that you are a God who raises the dead, that you are a God who loves sinners, that you are a God who is faithful even in the face of our faithlessness and unfaithfulness. Lord, would you show up in this way, in, in, a, in beautiful ways in our lives tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So what is RUF? Where I want to start is a, a year ago this time, something crazy was happening in my family. My mom, uh, my stepdad, who my mom's been married to for years and years, got all of a sudden really, really sick. Like the kind of sick where he's a tough guy, normally goes to work every day, kind of a clockwork guy. But so sick with these chest pains and so sick with this kind of own set, like nausea and cold sweat where he was holed up in his room for you know, for I guess a couple days until my mom finally went in and said, listen, if you will not go to the doctor, I am calling an ambulance right now because something is seriously wrong with you. Like you're, you're, you're dying. Something is wrong. We've got to do something about it. So finally he's like, no ambulance. They got him down the stairs. He could barely walk at this point. They got him just in time to their doctor friend. And what had happened, we're not sure if it happened like in one of those days or it happened on the way to the hospital or if it happened at the hospital, but he had this massive heart attack to the point where they had to airlift him from Sumter, South Carolina, where I grew up, to the heart center here and um, just not far, you know, 10 minutes from campus and, uh, and got him there just in time. They put stents into his heart. They saved his life. But as I was thinking about what is a heart attack, like when you think about what is happening to your body when you have this heart attack, a heart attack is your heart's response. It's your heart's way of saying, listen, I am not getting enough blood, oxygen-rich blood in this thing. We've got to do something. We've got to take care of these arteries. We've got to fix this thing. And what I want to say to you tonight is I want to talk about two things that are, are that way when you think about RUF, that are near and dear to the heart of RUF, that if these two things were to start, were to close up, we, we should, we will perish, but we should perish. Two things that are just the heartbeat, if you will, of RUF, that if they slowly stop beating, will eventually die of cardiac arrest. Here's the first one. RUF is a place, we like to say, this is our motto, by the way, here's the first one, is a place where we have a heart for the gospel. A heart for the gospel. Now, that word, I don't know what it means to you. Like, I know some of you grew up in the church and you've heard that word your whole life, but maybe it's a word to you and not a reality. I don't know. Maybe some of you, are, you're here, and I'm so glad you're here, and you kind of are suspicious of this church thing, and you, didn't, you grew up in a secular home, and you're really like, you're even weirded out that you're here. We're talking about this thing called the gospel, and you're suspicious, and I'm glad you're here. One of the things that RUF is, if nothing else, is that we like to say a place where you can come and learn about the claims of Jesus, and listen and think for yourself about who it is that the Bible says that Jesus is, and we want that to happen. Um, but at the word level, the gospel simply means it's really simple. It's a word that really, in the Greek, just means good news. News that comes from outside of you, this announcement about something that has happened that is, is about you. It concerns you, but it's not something that you did. It's something that's been done that gets reported to you that changes everything, but it, you simply receive it and respond to it. Think about just this in, our, in your own life. Like Think about some of the things that we think are good news. Think about the, just a couple of examples. Think about, here's one bit of good news. When someone says, you know what? 
you got at that dream grad school, that thing that you like, what you thought was a long shot, you got in. And that's like, you're like, this is incredible news. Think about it like this. Your parents come to you maybe over Christmas and say, we've seen how beat up your car is. You've faithfully driven this beater for years. We love you. We got you a new car. You simply receive great news. You just receive that new thing and drive it. <laughs> With passion. I don't know. Um, proudly. Uh, or this, you know that guy. You, this is what the friend, like in the friend, your friend circles. You know that guy that you've been crushing on, and like have maybe for like a solid semester. Guess what? He is into you, and he wants to ask you out. And you're like, this is great news. But my point is, news is simply something that you receive. It's not something that you do. It's something that that happens that you receive that's incredible. It changes everything, but it's not something that you do. Good news is something you receive that you marvel in, that you celebrate, that you enjoy. Now, this is the point of the passage. Is This is the way I want to say it. The gospel is not good advice. Most of us grew up in a Christianity that thinks the gospel is good advice. This is how Jesus wants you to live. This is how he wants you to date. This is how he wants you to do life. This is how he wants you to do sex. This is how he wants you to do money. Lots of good advice. A lot of us grew up in youth groups like that, where it was like, you don't do these things. Part of why I hated RUF or didn't understand it, it was so like foreign to me, was I had grown up in a youth group that was well-meaning, but the basic message was, be good like Jesus. Don't cuss. In high school, here's what it was. Don't cuss. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't do the party culture. Pick good friends. Read your Bible. Pray, witness your faith, and that was pretty much it. Uh, listen to Christian music. I mean, that was my youth group, and all of that is that's fine. Like that's fine. There's a lot. There's wisdom in that. The Bible says things about that. But do you understand that if you think that's what Christianity is, you don't understand Christianity because that's what the Pharisee thinks it is. That's why he prays. You see, his prayer is not a prayer; it's a resume. He's saying to God, "God, love me because I do all these things for you." I tithe, I'm faithful, I'm not like this loser who doesn't even come to church or like take you seriously. And then here's this other, the, the, the tax collector, and he knows something. He knows that he's so broken, he's so messed up, and unless there's some good news for him, he's a lost cause. And Jesus says, this is, the fascinating thing to me is if these two people were standing in front of us, we all naturally, just in our sinfulness, would think, that Pharisee loves God, that tax collector is far from the kingdom. And Jesus says, nope, this tax collector gets it because he gets his need for me. He gets his need for good news. He gets his hopelessness. He gets his sinfulness. He gets his need for grace. And that's what I've come for. This guy is trusting Jesus. That's why the parable starts. Jesus is saying this to people. What, is, what does it say? Trusting in their own goodness. The Pharisee is trusting in his own goodness. The tax collector is throwing himself upon the goodness of Jesus and saying, unless you're going to be good and merciful to me, there's no hope for me. Uh, this is the way one of my favorite preachers ever is this old British guy. It's like in the era of the crown, which is fun. I don't know if you've watched the crown over, uh, over the break. My wife and I have been watching it. But his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was actually a doctor for a long time and then got, con- uh, got converted and was called, God called him into ministry. He was one of the most famous preachers in Western culture in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. 
And here he's got this illustration. It's a little bit long, but I love it because it's getting at this idea that it's not, Christianity is not good advice. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. Here's what he says. He said, here's a king. Imagine a king, and he goes into battle against an invading army to defend his land. If the king defeats the invading army, he sends back to the capital city messengers, a very happy envoy. He sends back good newsers with this report. They come back and they say, it's been defeated. The army's been defeated. It's all been done. Therefore, respond with joy and now go about your lives. Conduct your lives in this peace which has been achieved for you. But, on the other hand, if the invading army breaks through, the king sends back military advisors and says, swordsmen over here and marksmen over here and the horsemen over here, we're going to have to fight for our lives. And here's what Lloyd-Jones says. Every other religion sends military advisors. Every other religion says, you know, if you want your salvation, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to fight for your life. Every other religion sends advice, saying, here are the rules, here are the rights, here are the rituals, here are the laws and regulations. Marksmen over here, fight for your life. And he goes on to say, but the gospel, the gospel is good news, not good advice. Advice, think about it, is counsel about something to do, and it hasn't happened yet, but you can do it. That's the Christianity that we grew up in, so many of us. But news, news is a report about something that has happened that you can't do anything to change. It's been done for you, and all you can do is respond to it. The heartbeat of RUF is that the gospel, I hope, I hope you get, not bored, I hope you don't get bored, you might, it's fine. I hope you get tired of how much we talk about the good news of Jesus, because I can tell you that's all I've got for you. All I've got for you, that in the midst of your, so most of us, do you know the brokenness and hopelessness of your situation? No, you don't, not to the extent that you will. That Jesus is going to, that's why we sing, I ask the Lord all the time. Jesus' work in your life is to show you the hidden evils of your heart, that you might throw yourself on his goodness and mercy to you. Uh, I want you to think about two examples. How, how in the world could we apply this? Like, what are some examples of ways that we live maybe in good advice instead of good news? I want to do two that are kind of one's negative, one's positive, lust and evangelism. Let's talk about lust, how we do good advice versus good news, and then evangelism, how we do good advice versus good news. First, think about lust for a second. Here's like, like I remember being in college, struggling as could be with lust, and desperate for anything that would help. And I remember I got this book back in my day, in the, like, the most popular book. You know, Josh Harris had I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was like a huge thing that broke up a lot of relationships, uh, which I hated Josh Harris for so long. Um, and then there was this other book called Every Man's Battle. And it was this book basically about all these strategies for fighting lust in your life. And here are some things that we do. Here's good advice. Here's advice that, you know, sometimes we do. If you're struggling with lust, you might say to someone, you need to get covenant eyes. You need, which is an internet filter. You need to get a browser on your phone or delete your browser on your phone, lock it up. You need to delete his number or her number. Uh, you need to get an accountability partner. You need to meet with a pastor. Uh, you need to get off of Tinder, which is just kind of true. We can talk about that a long time. Uh, you need to stop going to five points. Uh, you need to break up. You need to, and we have, and all these things are, we should listen. Like Jesus is for cutting off the hand, gouging out the eye. I'm not trying to say that good advice doesn't have its place. But have you ever heard the good news? If you're here tonight and you're struggling with lust and whatever that looks like for you, have you ever heard the good news? Did you know that as bad as your lust might be, you can never outlust the love of Jesus? Did you know that the love of Jesus is so 
big and strong and forever, that he's going to love you out of your lust? Did you know that when Jesus, when you think about this, Jesus, who literally, one of the most amazing things, even if you're wrestling with the Bible and wrestling with who is Jesus, one of the most amazing things, the, the picture that the gospel presents is Jesus really was sinless. So we can say Jesus really never did. This is the amazing, almost unbelievable thing about Jesus. Jesus really never did lust ever in his life, even in his heart, even in his eyes. There was no lust in Jesus, and yet we see Jesus going to the cross, and he says, taking our shame and nailing it to the cross, and Jesus dies on that cross naked as if he were the lust addict. Why? That lust addicts like you and me might not just be forgiven, but set free, and might stand. And if you belong to Jesus and you're struggling, 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 you came, you struggled right before you came. The good news for you is if you're in Christ, there's now no more condemnation. You are a new creation, and it's as if you have never lusted at all because Jesus took all that lust to the cross with him. And when you begin to get a hold of that good news, <laughs> that Jesus not only takes the shame of that to the cross, even the ongoing shame of that, you're never going to outlust the love of Jesus. But also the love of Jesus is going to set you free just you wait and see. He's going to, he's going to outlove you and your lust. Good advice versus good news. Think about evangelism for a second. This is one, I don't, I don't know, like, I was thinking about this actually today. I don't know where this group is with that. We don't talk about this a lot in RUF. I think it's assumed, which is not a great thing. But I don't, if you grew up, like, I grew up in a youth group that really pushed the idea, like, we want lost people to know Jesus. Part of why we're here, we're going to talk about this in a second, is we long for this campus. We long for our lost friends, our lost family members to know Jesus. Evangelism is this beautiful thing. It's not coercion. It's not a power play. It's simply telling people the good news. But think about the way we typically think about it. Here's the good advice that we typically think about or grew up with about evangelism. There's a lot, right? We could say, here's this incredibly helpful chart. Here's this incredibly helpful diagram. Here's this incredibly helpful booklet. Here's this incredibly helpful book. If you're a book, I'm a book person. Here's this incredibly helpful uh, strategy. Here's this incredibly helpful way to, have you ever read things about turning a conversation to Jesus, which is the worst? I mean, talk to your friends about Jesus, absolutely, but don't like do it like a salesman. Uh, you know, uh, if you're an introvert, this is your nightmare. This is why I probably don't talk about it a lot. Just get over your introversion. Just go be an extrovert. Like, we talk about all these things, we've got to wrestle with them. We've got to wrestle with how do you share the gospel? You know, how do you do relational evangelism? But think for a second, step back. Do we ever step back and think, there's good stuff there, but what about the good news? Do you know what the good news for you and, I, and me in evangelism is? That if Jesus can save you, who can he not save? If Jesus can make you a Christian, who in your you've never met anyone in your life. You've never met anyone that Jesus cannot make a Christian. A lot of times we think about evangelism as, as doing God's work for him, doing Jesus' work for him, but that's not the good news. The good news is Jesus, even right now, even in this moment, is at work. Aslan is on the move. And he's at work in the lives of of people, uh, there's someone right now who Jesus is moving in their life. I mean, literally, maybe right now at USC. And all we're doing is joining him in small ways, big ways, in that work. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. That's good news for us. And the good news is there's no one, no one that's beyond the reach of Jesus and his grace. Um, 
the way I was thinking about this today was I know the first person. I don't, you, I don't know if you ever thought about heaven before like this. I remember being in college and listening to this song where the, the, this whole song was about who I want to talk to when I get to heaven. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's a real thing. We get to, we're, we're in bodies. Jesus has a body right now. We're going to have this embodied, beautiful existence where we still do relationship and even better relationship because we can't sit against each other. So I was thinking, I know, I know the first person that I want to talk to. I mean, Jesus, obviously, is the first person. But besides Jesus, that I want to talk to when I get to heaven. Um, and it's not Moses or Noah. It's not Samson, although that would be incredible. It's not Peter or Paul. It's not C.S. Lewis. That would be incredible, too, or Charles Spurgeon. It's this girl named Sarah. And I really don't know her last name. Sarah, I only had two like experiences with her ever in my life. Uh, we apparently grew up in the same town together. We were three years apart, but my senior year at South Carolina, I was part of this fraternity, and I was at this field party, and the way I met Sarah was Sarah was kind of known in the Greek system as this girl who would really, really tragically just get just blackout drunk, and then she would do anything with anybody. So at this field party, literally that's what happens. She gets crazy drunk and hooks up with like multiple guys at this party. And I remember thinking at the time, I was a Christian, and I remember thinking this is incredibly sad. I wish I'd had the courage to like go to those guys and rebuke them in their rapiness and in their just like disgustingness, and I didn't. And that was like my ex- first experience with her. And then years later, I'm in seminary. My wife and I are about to move to Statesboro, Georgia. We're getting rid of some furniture, some couches, and we're um, had this connection through my aunt, this couple that she knows who's on their way to seminary who wants to buy the couches. And I'm like, that sounds great. So my aunt sets it up, and I go to meet them, and I walk out, and there is Sarah. And like, I don't. This is going to sound weird, but you know, sometimes if you've ever seen a friend get converted, sometimes they're they're like whole. Just the the way they look even changes. I mean, she looks so radiant and so like beautiful and like pure, if I can say that. And I don't think she knew who I was. I definitely knew who she was. So I never said like, "Hey, what happened." And that's what I want to do. Like, I hope when I get to heaven that Jesus just takes me over to Sarah and says, Sammy, Sarah, tell Sammy the story about how I met you in the darkest places of your life and just absolutely changed everything. Tell, tell him the good news. And then we'll get to, like, laugh and cry tears of joy and just be with Jesus. Um, the heartbeat of RUF is the gospel. And I think a heart for the gospel, you know, when I grew up, Christianity for me was basically a war. had color-coded, coordinated WWJD bracelets. I got a khaki one that kind of went with everything. Then I had a navy one that was not quite as, uh, you know, didn't work with everything. And that's what I thought Christianity was. What would Jesus do? And can I say, nope, that's not what Christianity is. Let's make some bracelets Tonight, let's don't, but let's do. W-J-H-D. Do you know the good news of what Jesus has done? It's good news. What Jesus has done for you. Live the life you should have lived. Die the death you deserve to die. The gospel, the joy of the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is to you. So heart for the gospel. If we lose that, may we die. If we lose the gospel, we should pair it. Like we should not, what are we doing? Like, I don't want to do, like, country, country club Christian. I don't want to do, like, 
this little fellowship of we don't have friends and let's just like hang out with each other. I don't want. I don't want to. I'm 36. I don't want to do that. I don't need you for friends. I mean, I love you. I love you. But what are we doing if we lose sight of the gospel? A heartbeat for the gospel. A heart for the gospel. Second and, and shorter. A heart for the campus. Um, all right. So here's just get down to brass tacks. So two, two approaches that I see every typical freshman take. Like if you grew up in the church, you, grew, you would call yourself a Christian. Here are the two approaches that I typically see freshmen take. Or really any students. This is all of us. The first step, when it comes to campus, doing life with non-Christians, doing life with like atheist professors. Can we erase God's not dead from the catalog of movies? If I, had, if I was Jesus, that's the first thing I would do. Um, is to avoid. We avoid. Uh, it's been ingrained in us, sometimes by our youth group leaders, often by our parents who, let's just name it, are overbearing and overprotective, that you don't thrive at college. You survive. And so if that's the, the thing, then what you do is the best way to avoid temptation is just to avoid the campus, avoid people here. And so what you do is you long just to find a Christian bubble and get away from those scary atheist professors and get away from those scary non-Christians and, and pray that Jesus will not let you meet any new people unless they're a part of a Christian bubble and you get inside this bubble and you just avoid anything that's hard or tempting or different. And that's what a lot of you do. Or, second, the second approach is you adapt. You quickly learn... Then though it might have been, I don't know what your high school was like. It was kind of cool to be a Christian in my high school. I don't know if that was true for you. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But we can all say it's definitely not cool to be a Christian in college. Like, there's nothing that you really get from being a Christian at, at USC. Like, you're never going to be, like, the cool person as a Christian. I love the way, when the pa- like, a pastor I love says, you're not cool. <laughs> you're a Christian. And some of us really need to take this to heart. You're not cool. You're a Christian. But what some of you do is you learn really quickly that you're never going to be in unless you adapt. And you know what I mean by adapt. Like, we get Paul's whole message of, I became all things to all people, that by all means I might win some for the gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that adapting where you say, you're like, you make yourself a disciple of the campus, of culture. And you basically say, what's cool? What are the cool things to wear? What are the cool things to drink? What are the cool things to smoke? What are the cool things to say? What are the cool things to do? Where are the cool places to go? And you sort of just radically give yourself to that. And I just want you to see, like, Jesus is against both. He's way against you avoiding campus, and he's way against you adapting to campus. And this is where we do the whole in the world but not of it. Can I say something else? What if we just say loved by Jesus to love like Jesus? And there's just a couple of words I want to say. First, if you're an avoider, the person you need to avoid is yourself. The problem is not the Sigma guys and Eddie Pies. The problem is you. You're the problem. Your own wicked, stupid heart. Your own self-righteous heart is the problem. And I think this is Jesus. This is why the Pharisees hated Jesus, by the way. Like, the Pharisees knew what Jesus was doing in this parable. This is why, like, do you ever think, stop and think for a second, the Pharisees hated Jesus so much, they literally plotted to kill, I think when this gets lost enough, they plotted to kill him. It was like, either their sinful, self-righteous self was going to die, 
or Jesus was going to die, but both could not coexist. And so they chose to kill Jesus. And it's the same for a lot of us today. But do you understand that, that Jesus didn't avoid you? Thank God he didn't. That Jesus pursued you? That Jesus loved you in all of your awkwardness? And can I just say he hates your Christian bubble? His, his plan for you is to blow that thing up like the Death Star. That you just might be sent into the galaxy of non-Christians. <laughs> and like learn what it means to follow him and love these people that he loves, who, that love these people that he's gathering to himself, and understand that he's put you here. He's put you here for that purpose, to join him in that work. Um, this is where I love Johnny Cash. Uh, you know, If you know Johnny Cash at all, he had that. It was really controversial. He did this show for prisoners, Folsom Count and Folsom Prison, May 1998. And it was controversial because until that point in his career, he really had been, he was kind of a gospel country singer, and a lot of his fans were Christians. And there was this conversation that supposedly happened between him and his manager about the show. He really wanted to do this show. And his manager came to him and he said, we can't do this show. If you do this show, you're going to lose your fan base. He was like, and he said in this very honest moment, his manager said, your fans don't want you. They're Christians. And he says, they, they don't want you singing a bunch of rapists and murderers. And Johnny Cash famously, supposedly said, well, they're not Christians then. And he played this show. It's just a beautiful moment. You can go and watch it on YouTube. Um, and can I just say that? If you're avoiding not Christians, you're not a Christian. I mean, I'm saying it to me too. Second, <laughs> to adapters. You're not cool. You're a Christian. Uh, you know, I love the two places that I kind of love, that I've been to that I love a lot are, they have the same slogan. One is Asheville, North Carolina, and one is Austin, Texas. And they're both really beautiful, cool places. But they both do that thing where they have those shirts you can buy or hats you can buy that say, keep Asheville weird or keep Austin weird. You gotta say like that's what we need. Keep Christianity weird. It is weird. We claim that a man who died two thousand years ago on a cross is the the center of reality and the king of the universe and reigning over everything. That's weird. We claim that, that he actually cares about what you do with your body. Not because he's controlling or a control freak, but because he made you and he knows the goodness of your design. That's weird. We understand, like, you're never, you're never going to be cool. Like, there are certain central things to Christianity that are never going to be cool, and we kind of have to die to that. And then on the other hand, we have to think, the only person, the coolest person in the world, for some reason, loves you and thinks you're cool. Is there anyone cooler than Jesus? I mean, no, there, there's not. He's the coolest. Just, like, straight up. We can just settle that now. There's no one cooler than Jesus. Uh, and for some reason, you are his heartbeat. And for some reason, you are his everything. And so for some reason, the, the king of the universe approves of you. I love the way Tim Keller says it. He says, when you have the approval of the king, who cares what the peasants think? When you've got the approval of the king, who cares what the peasants think? I'll close with this. 
Uh, so, best track for me of 2016 was, um, I love Beyonce, but her sister Solange put out this album called A Seat at the Table. And it's about wrestling about with being a, a black woman in America and the hardness of that. And she's got this song called Cranes in the Sky. And she's talking about the experience of, of not only blackness, but femaleness in America, in the South. And it's really honest and beautiful and hard. And this is what this song is about. But man, this song is about so much more. I don't know if she knows it or not. It's called Cranes in the Sky. And here's how it goes. She says, I tried to drink it away. I tried to put one in the air. I tried to dance it away. I tried to change it with my hair. I ran my credit card bill up. Thought a new dress would make it better. I tried to work it away, but that just made me even sadder. I tried to keep myself busy. I ran around circles. I think I made myself dizzy. I slept it away. I sexed it away. I read it away. I tried to run it away. Thought then my head be feeling, would be feeling clearer. I traveled 70 states, thought moving around would make me feel better. I tried to let go of my lover, thought it was, thought if I was alone, then maybe I could recover. I tried to write it away, to cry it away. And then she says, but it's like cranes in the sky. You ever seen a crane in the sky? When you look up, you expect beauty, and you see this metal cloud. It's like cranes in the sky. Sometimes I don't want to feel those metal clouds. Yeah, it's like cranes in the sky. Sometimes I don't want to feel those metal clouds. When I listen to that song, I think about me, and I think about you, and I think about Jesus. I think about that this is what we do. Can we just say it? What is it? It is that gnawing feeling that you're not okay. It is that gnawing feeling of the way that the world has treated you, of your experiences of being sinned against. It is that thing that the world is broken. It is that thing that you're broken. It is that thing that you can't seem to drink enough or read enough or Netflix enough or drug enough or eat enough or porn enough or five points enough or away. And yet the good news about Jesus is he's, he's come to take it away. Literally, that's what he says. I came to take it away. I came to take away the broken, to, to heal the brokenness to bring light to the darkness, to take away the shame and the guilt and the sin, to make you new, to literally raise you from the dead and make you a new person, to literally rip his into your chest and pull out the heart of stone and give there instead a heart of flesh that beats for him, that beats for other people. And that's the other thing. This, this is These are your friends. They're trying to it away and Jesus has called you and put you in their lives to say listen Jesus' last words were it is finished you know the dying words of Buddha the dying words of Buddha were strive without ceasing that's how most of us live the dying words of Jesus were it is finished let's rest in that tonight let's pray Jesus would you uh, help us rest in that uh some of us have, we have questions. Um, would you be the one who, would you send your spirit without measure and let us continue to wrestle with you, even as Jacob wrestled with you? Um, and would you continue to, to change us? Would you give us new hearts? And would you keep this ministry? Would you keep RUF? Would you keep these two things so close to our heart uh, that are close to your heart? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.
you'll stand with us and sing our last hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. 